This is Peter Holmstrom, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new book, The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, the official companion book to the hit documentary series by the Nacelle Company, which chronicles the history of Star Trek from the early days of Lucille Ball and Desilu all the way to through the end of Enterprise, featuring new and expanded interviews from Trek legends such as David Gerald, Rick Berman, Ronald D. Moore, Harold Livingston, Walter Koenig, Kate Mulgrew, Nana Visitor, Robert Picardo, Tim Russ, Brandon Braga, Lisa Klink, and of course, in Glorious Trexpert's own, Mark A. Altman, as well as the final interviews from Kirstie Alley and Leonard Nimoy, in addition to so, so many more. Pick up The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, available today in hardcover and digital wherever books are sold. to the briefing room. Welcome back to the Trexperts Briefing Room, where industry professionals curate audio commentaries with the creators, creatives, and diehard fans of the Star Trek franchise. I'm your host, Peter Holmstrom, a screenwriter and author, uh, and I have a new short story out in a recent issue of Star Trek Explorer magazine. Please go check it out. And I'm Lisa Klink. I wrote for Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and I'm very happy that the writer's strike is over. <laughs> And hopefully today will be the SAG strike will be over too. It's that would be uh, very nice. exciting. Very exciting. Uh, today we're going to shift up the format a bit. Ordinarily we do audio commentaries, but today we're going to have a general conversation um, with uh, three people that do extensive work on the writing process, but don't actually write words. They will take a screenplay and then turn it into a collection of visual images that um, can inform the production team how best to proceed with the filming. Um, I'm talking, of course, about storyboard artists. They're kind of the unsung heroes of, of uh, modern franchises out there. And we're, we're very thrilled to have three uh, wonderful guests on today who worked on Star Trek Picard. Uh, three guests, I'm gonna have each of them introduce themselves so the audience can kind of get a sense for, for who they are. Um, I'm gonna go with the, the guy who's on my right here first, and that's Dan. Dan, do you wanna introduce yourself here? Sure, I'm uh, Dan Kaplan. I've been doing storyboards for over 25 years, thereabouts. Happy to be here. Very cool. Very happy to have you. Uh, and then Daniel, how about you go next? Oh, that was really short. Um, my name is Daniel <laughs> Lim. I I started off doing costumes and moved my way up to doing storyboards. So I started on Star Trek Discovery, Strange New Worlds, Picard and eventually got picked up by the art department doing VFX for Picard. And right now I am working or we are we are on hiatus. Uh, we're working on Section 31. Uh, I can't talk too much about it, but yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> and it exists. It exists. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Did I give it away? OK, <laughs> it does exist. <laughs> And then uh, Aaron, how about for you? Hey, Lisa. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, I was just listening to your last episode, uh, and you interviewed uh, Anne Cofell Saunders, who's married to my friend Phil Saunders, who's one of the best concept uh, designers at Marvel uh, and a bunch of other studios. I just saw them both at Lightbox Expo in Pasadena this weekend, which was super fun. So I think I, fr I first met Lisa through our mutual friend, uh, Gord Jordan Gorfinkel, uh, at DC Comics. He is my editor. 
hired me to work on uh, Batman Harley Quinn, which turned out to be the first official appearance of Harley Quinn in the DC universe. And then I think Lisa and I worked together on Batman's No Man's Land and then yeah. Batman Chronicles. So we never actually met each other in real life until I think uh, LA Comic Con uh, a few years back and we were on a panel together. So that's kind of my background. I'm a comic book artist uh, turned animator, turned art director for Stanley Media. And then I came up through commercials. I worked in commercials for a long time and then transitioned into TV and feature films. And so um, getting to work on Star Trek Picard, the uh, the finale for the first season was just like, you know, a dream come true. So would you call yourself a Trekkie? Definitely. <laughs> for sure. You know, I'd love to, uh, and thank you all again for being on the show. It's, it's wonderful to have you all here. Um, I'd love to expand out a bit of your intros here. I, it feels like storyboard artists are one of those things that um, a lot of people in Hollywood know exist. I feel like in, in the same way, like stuntmen, like we all know they exist. They do wonderful work. They're, they're so important. How do you even become a storyboard artist? Like where does where does the journey begin uh, for each of you? And like what what was kind of that inspiration just to to go down this career path? Dan? Well, well, for me, yeah, this is Dan. Um, for me, um, I found out about storyboarding when I was in college. I was an illustration major and fine art um, major, learning about painting and the, the old masters and stuff. Um, didn't really know exactly which direction I was going to go in, but there was an exhibit of um, storyboards by Alex Tavalaris, um, work that he did for Star Wars and Apocalypse Now. And when I saw that and realized, so you mean I could draw pictures before they make the movie instead of going home and drawing them after like I did when I was a kid? <laughs> um, that was pretty cool. And I'd actually grown up a little bit around movie stuff because my father was a film editor, worked in TV, Gunsmoke and I Spy, Streets of San Francisco, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I didn't know about storyboards until that. And so that kind of uh, became my focus. Took a film class, basically just to make a short film and prove the storyboards, kind of like go through that whole process. And uh, and then it took a few years after that to kind of find my way into it. Um, because, you know, I'm talking about the late 80s, early 90s, um, it wasn't very well known. Uh, you couldn't just go, you know, into any art school and, and find it necessarily, or at least I couldn't, couldn't afford it. Um, and uh, so I took a couple classes, took class with uh, David Jonas, who did storyboards on stuff like uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and the Back to the Future movies and stuff, a couple classes at the Animation Institute. But uh, what kind of got the ball rolling was working commercials, because I, I don't know if a lot of People know that commercials use storyboards extensively. Mm. It's kind of like a visual contract between the client, the advertising agency, and the production company um, to know exactly what they're spending all this money on 30 seconds for. Mm. Um, and, uh, and a couple of doors that got open into the more narrative stuff, which was, you know, everybody wants to work in movies. Um, even the directors of commercials they they approach it like they're making 30 second movies and uh so i kind of got my way in through a lot of tv stuff um i started working on ally mcbeal a little bit 
because that was a show and most TV shows don't use storyboards, or at least they didn't in the past, but you know, a show like that where they have all these little fantasy sequences, they need to kind of cut away to the VFX or cut away to, you know, whatever they're doing. And it's outside of the norm. And that's a lot of time why a storyboard will be used is if it's outside of the normal approach to production, mm. everybody knows basically how they're going to shoot it, but when they have to do something a little different, then the, the storyboard is really helpful for everyone. Um, so I got onto some of those David Kelly shows. The big break was doing Six Feet Under, mm. which was a, a great show to work on and uh, a lot of fun because most of what we needed to do there was they also had these little fantasy sequences, but then like every show would open up with the death of somebody who would end up their storyline in the funeral home. Uh, so there were a lot of different ways to, you know, have people die and, uh, which is a lot of storyboarding as well. And, uh, and then that continued on with, that was with Alan Ball and that continued into his next show, True Blood. Also, you know, how many different ways can we kill vampires, <laughs> kill werewolves, all that. Um, that was a lot of fun. And so I've, I've done a lot of work for HBO and just kind of, you know, uh, and ballooned from there into a little bit of work on Game of Thrones for a few seasons and um, Westworld and stuff like that. And then, you know, into the streaming world, which eventually led me to Picard, which was, it's been a, uh, it, it, that was a big goal to get on something like Star Trek that was such a part of my childhood. So that's that's how I got here. So where along this journey did you stop writing by hand and start using computers? Um, for me, that was somewhere around 2011. Uh, I mean, still drawing by hand. Um, it's just that there's a computer screen that I can draw on. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Daniel, how about for you? Let's, let's same question. Yeah, I think I'm probably the the youngest of the bunch. So I grew up, I, 1980. Um, I didn't really know a whole lot about Star Trek. Um, I was playing video games most of my life. I didn't read a whole lot of comics. So I got into this industry pretty late. Um, and I would say I do have 20 years experience, but that's starting from when I graduated college. Mm. So basically, I spent... 10 years of my life trying to figure out what, what I was going to do. Uh, and I just didn't want to live in a box. Like uh, Dan and Aaron heard me talking about this over at uh, WonderCon. But it literally went to uh, me thinking about, okay, how am I not going to get evicted? How am I going to make money? Like, can I stop looking at Craigslist, uh, looking for odd jobs, trying to make $500? Um, so it really just came out of necessity. I wasn't really interested in um, entertainment design at all. So back in 2002 um, at Art Center, we this concept designer named Scott Robertson came in and revamped the whole entertainment system. And I had a choice of either taking that course or not. And I just basically chose not to do it. I went through illustration route. Um, getting an editorial illustration going, uh, portfolio going, um, gallery work. I wanted to sell my work for, you know, tens of thousands of dollars if anybody was going <laughs> to buy it. Of course. That, that was my goal. It never happened. I never sold out 
a show. Um, I got pretty close to getting a one-person show, but that's when my funds just basically dropped all the way down to $50. $50. I actually met somebody yesterday I was talking to about their funds went to $0.34, cents, so they actually beat me. Um, <laughs> but long story short, that's how I got into the industry, um, just basically out of survival. And I was looking around. Um, I was teaching at Otis College of Art and Design at the time, and I noticed that a few kids were doing really well and the other kids who went my route which was illustration they weren't doing you know that well and the kids who were doing really well were the ones that were graduating um with the degree in concept design i was like what is concept design so basically concept design is what you see like on the big screen like all the pre-production work for um the movies and tv so it's some it's it's a very hard um, major to break into. Um, there's a lot of design learning. There's a lot of things that you have to know before you try to break in. So, I basically just told my you know friend at the time, you know, like I really need to get into this industry. How do I get in? And so my friend, I'm talking about my student, and he taught me how to do Photoshop. And he, he said, you know, sit down. This is the Photoshop brush. This is the digital medium. You know, let's get a tablet for you. And I just started drawing with my student. And it was the most humbling experience. But because of that, uh, because of that, um, I, I, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm trying to backtrack a little bit. Um, but because of that um, interaction that I had with my student, I was able to go from being a total bum into getting a portfolio that was good enough to get an agency uh, recognize my work. And when I got an agent, a storyboarding agent, they put me up for commercial job that I would never expect to get. Uh, so my first job was working on The Stoker. Um, it was a movie poster. And I did all the sketches and that led into working on commercial boards, which led into me getting a little bit more satisfied with where I'm going. So I decided to try to break into film, but in the film industry, there's this whole union mm -hmm. that I couldn't break into, uh, which is the Art Directors Guild. Very difficult to get into, but yeah. there's another union called the Costume Union, and it wasn't as difficult. Um, all you needed was a few recommendations and maybe a little bit of portfolio. So I worked up my portfolio in costumes and that's how I got into doing costume work. Um, eventually after working on Discovery, Star Trek, um, Picard, you know, I was able to make enough portfolio pieces to go back into the Art Director's Guild, work on my chops, get my storyboarding uh, skills up to par to people like Dan and Aaron, and eventually I worked up the ranks. Um, I think my first breakout storyboarding gig was P Pinocchio, which was uh, handed to me by my good friend Bill Thompson and Simeon Wilkins. Um, one thing led to another. I'm I'm still trying to figure out what storyboarding is, so don't ask me like a <laughs> lot of questions. Um, I'm I'm still faking it. This whole Trek thing. I'm getting a little nervous right now because I told Aaron, I'm like. Dude, Aaron, I don't know anything about Star Trek. <laughs> and he told me, like, you have the most experience out of all of us. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. But um, yeah, it, do. it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be here. I did a lot of research. Um, so I don't sound like a total, you know. Um, 
but I'm having a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun, especially with that other show that I was just talking about, where I'm learning a whole bunch from the director. Like the director is amazing. Um, I don't know if you know him. It's um, Ola Tunde. He worked on a lot of um, shows from Discovery and he gives me shot lists. So I bring that up because trying to break into the storyboarding industry, there's really no classes. Like You have to read books. You have to do all these things, but like nobody's going to sit you down. But Ola Tunde is such a sweetheart. He gave me all the shot lists. He knows exactly what he wants. He's telling me not to read ahead of this, you know, the scenes that I'm supposed to be working on. Just work on this. And so it's like a master class in getting a proper education in the film industry. So that's my long-winded answer to how I got started. So many people talk about Star Trek as being kind of grad school. Um, I mean, I've heard a lot of writers mention that. I mean, it certainly was for me. And it sounds like it was for you, too. I think it is because I know how deep the fan base goes. And, like, I, you know, like you miss something up. <laughs> they are on your case, you know. Like, you, you get a little badge wrong. So, yeah, it is a grad school. Like, I can't fake it. Like, I have... I have to literally go back in time, go through all the YouTube channels. Like, okay, what did they mean by this? Like, what is, like, I had to figure out what TNG meant. You know, like, that's how much I didn't know about this series or this IP. So now I know. Um, and, you know, do the research. And then once you do enough research, like, it actually shows in your work. So I've never had an IP where I had to, like, go back to the source. Like, when I'm working on Pinocchio, I'm not really thinking about what they did in Disney back then. You know, I'm not working, you know, I'm not worried about like Haunted Mansion. Am I getting this right? But when I'm working on Star Trek, you kind of have to do that. You mm. know? Interesting. Uh, Aaron, how about for you? So my origin story is um, I grew up on a farm in Ohio and my parents homeschooled both my sister and me. They didn't want us to have a TV because they thought it would rot our brain. So of course, that left no choice but to grow up and work in TV to prove them wrong. I can do it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Take that, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> but I think my first memory of Star Trek is actually watching um, the original Trek. Uh, it must have been in reruns at the time. Um, my older cousins had a uh, had a TV. So I would go over and watch Trek. Uh, and I think the first episode I ever saw was that Salt Vampire episode, uh, which oh, yeah. I think is pilot, no? Uh, was, the man trap. It was the first yeah, one. The first aired, episode so. aired. Yeah, exactly. But... And it kind of, I mean, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I must have been eight or nine and it kind of scared me. <laughs> Wish it's, it's scared. It's scared. It's scared. Yeah, it creeped me out. It definitely oh, creeped yeah. me out. So I had just seen Star Wars and I absolutely loved it. Um, but I think Star Trek was probably too smart and too adult for me at that age. Um, you know, I was probably only seven or eight years old, like I said. So as a kid, I wanted more action and less talking. So I gravitate more towards Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, you know, definitely a sci-fi fan. Um, I think I even loved Disney's Black Hole and Flash Gordon, uh, even though I thought they were cheesy as a kid, but it was still, you know, lasers and sci-fi action and I loved it. So I actually used to build models uh, at the time and I thought maybe I could grow up and work in practical VFX. And then I saw Joe Johnson's uh, sketchbook for Star Wars. I think it was Empire Strikes Back maybe. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he had all this storyboards and all this concept art. So I had no idea what storyboards were. I didn't know you could actually draw and work in movies. You know, um, I always thought the words artist and starving went together. Uh, <laughs> I actually went to school for sometimes. Years. Sometimes they do. Yeah, exactly. Well, now that we're on strike, they definitely do. Uh, but uh, 
but yeah, I actually went to school for uh, computer science, uh, and I thought I wanted to maybe work for NASA or JPL, something like that. Um, but I did. I just always loved drawing. I just didn't think you could make a living doing it. So I don't think it was till I must have been in college when Star Trek Next Generation came out. That's uh, TNG for Daniel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was absolutely hooked. I mean, that was the show that like, because I'd gone back and I'd watched the original series, but you know, Next Generation, that was my Star Trek for me. So Jean-Luc Picard, uh, Data and Worf, I think, were you know, they were all fantastic. But I think for some reason, I really love those three. So, you know, went on to watch uh, Deep Space Nine. I think I even worked on maybe one or two issues of it back at Malibu Comics. I kind of started off as an anchor in comics. Very cool. Later, I went on to work at Top Cow with uh, Mark Silvestri. That was his uh, studio, Image Comics. And we did this crazy, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but we did this crazy Star Trek X-Men crossover. Uh, with uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think Scott Lobdell wrote it. Uh, and, uh, uh, my friend, well, obviously Mark Sylvester did like the main story, but then we, everybody did like, it was a huge like 48 page thing. So uh, I got to ink Anthony Wynn's pages, which were really fun. Uh, but it was also kind of a crazy concept because, you know, you had Captain Kirk looking like William Shatner does in real life, very realistic. Uh, and then Wolverine looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger on his <laughs> way. So it's like, it doesn't, there's like, you know, it's like Star Trek meets He-Man and Masters of the Universe. It just doesn't really, <laughs> I don't think. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I went from Top Cow to working in uh, commercials and advertising. Uh, and then um, I think my first feature film was this film called Virus, which was uh, John Bruno was the director. I worked on it with Tim Burgard, another storyboard artist, uh, Rodolfo DiMaggio, another amazing storyboard artist. And that was like really got thrown in the deep end. Uh, I think it was based on a, a Dark Horse uh, comic. Uh, but it was, uh, I don't know, it was kind of a, we, we were designing these creatures, these um, these giant robots, and they're practical and they didn't work. So I think uh, once they got them into the ship and they got the, the water, like it, it broke them or something. So they, Phil Tippett had to come in and do like the final uh, VFX for that thing. But that was kind of like my first experience on a feature film. And then um, I went on to work a little bit in animation, uh, worked with Stan Lee himself at Stanley Media. And then, um, you know, now just doing features, do a lot of Marvel movies. I worked on the last couple of Spider-Man movies, Godzilla versus Kong and um, and season one of Star Trek Picard, which is, you know, like I said, dream come true. It's, uh, I can check that one off my bucket list. <laughs> now talking, talking about uh, connection to Star Trek, I remember well, the, the first episode aired, I think maybe two months before I was born. So I didn't watch it in its original run, but it was always somewhere in reruns, you know, as I was a kid. And uh, for those who can remember TVs before remote controls, when you actually had to flip the the dial, the, the you know, turn the channel, I remember flipping through because we only had, what, four or six channels to go through. And then you'd get static on all the other ones in between and be like the little girl and poltergeist staring into the TV, right? <laughs> but I remember doing that and finding, you know, on channel eight out of San Diego, because I grew up in LA, you know, oh, there's Star Trek. And it was just always so compelling to find Star Trek when it was on the air. And so I'd watch it even if it was staticky or, you know, when, whenever it was, you know, whenever and wherever. And I had an older brother who, you know, and he had a tape recorder and he would actually record like put the tape recorder in front of the TV and record stuff off of it, just the, the audio. And I know at one point I had Kirk's whole monologue memorized when he's uh, trying to provoke Spock. And I think it was this side of paradise trying to shake him out of his uh, spore induced stupor, you know, <laughs> and, and, and aggravate him, which they 
paid homage to in uh, the J.J. Abrams one, uh, getting Spock to get emotional. But, you know, I, I had the whole thing where he's basically roasting Spock for Jill Ireland being too good for him. You know, yeah. does she know what she's getting Spock? A cart is full of memory banks. You're an elf with a hyperactive thyroid. <laughs> so that, that it just always stuck with me. And uh, and then when Next Generation came out, you know, I had to, I was a little skeptical, but that brought me in and, you know, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, tried to keep track of them. By the time Enterprise came along, I had kids. It was a little bit harder and try to keep up with it all here. But it was, it was just so great that they they decided to do Picard to kind of continue that story and um, and eventually get the reunion that everybody wanted in season three. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, before we I mean, I, I definitely want to talk specifically about about your works on Star Trek. But like before we get into that, like and this is kind of an open question, but like, you know, I guess specifically, Aaron, you know, I know that you've, you you said you've worked in animation, you worked in things like Godzilla versus Khan, and then you, you're working on things like Star Trek, which is a very kind of, even though there's action involved, of course, there's also a lot of just like, you know, corridor scenes and things like that. It's like, I wonder if, if there's a, if you could talk kind of generally, you know, philosophically, I guess, about the the nature of storyboarding in these different kind of mediums and these different kind of genres because they're all very different and they all i imagine would have different kind of sets of goals you know aaron I, I saw that you worked on gravity falls which i just absolutely love that show but it's uh that's more of a comedy you know and godzilla vs con is an action show and you know it's like all these uh, i'm rambling now but it's you know if you could just talk a bit about that that would be that'd be cool yeah, every every show is different and every director is different. So if you're working on a TV show like Star Trek Picard, uh, or like I was on Fear of the Walking Dead as well, um, in in features the director uh, is really king. But I think in in um, in TV it's more about the writer or the showrunner. So um, the first time I met uh, Akiva Goldsman, I think I was working with Will Smith on the set of uh, Winter's Tale, uh, which they filmed in New York, uh, which is really cool. Uh, and then we ended up working together again on Titans, like a few a few years later. That was, uh, I think it was on HBO at the time. I'm not sure where it is now. I think HBO is Max or something. But um, <laughs> the storyboard process, it's we're kind of lucky, uh, Daniel, Dan and I, because we really get to do the fun thing. So like on a feature film, like if I was on, you know, uh, Josh Trank's uh, Fantastic Four, which is, I think, 7% of Rotten Tomatoes, uh, you, might <laughs> for like, you might be on that for like three or four months, you know, so you can be on for a really long time. I was on uh, Secret Invasion which was a Disney plus show uh, for I think 13 months, which is probably my longest wow. on a feature. Wow. But for TV shows, the production is really quick. It's like hit the ground running. Um, you usually have maybe seven to nine days to um, to storyboard, to uh, to prep an episode. And as you're prepping one episode, they'll be filming the next episode. So it's, it's really about problem solving and it's about us, you know, helping the director. Cause we're the only, we're the only um, we, we get lumped in with the art department, but we we actually have the word story in our name. So we're really working with the director, sometimes the writer, if we're lucky, because uh, a lot of times um, on these TV shows, the writer and the uh, director will be the same person. It might be the showrunner, uh, like with uh, Akiva. Um, I actually got to work with uh, Michael Chabon, who's one of my favorite, one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite novels, The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. So just like meeting him and like getting to have lunch with him was like so cool. Um, but yeah, we're really problem solving these. Um, we get to really kind of storyboard the fun stuff. Cause like you said, if it's just a conversation, just you and I talking, having coffee, 
any good DP, any good cinematographer can shoot that really easily. We get to focus on like the action sequences or these cool space battles or, um, you know, somebody's dying, like, you know, different ways to kill people. <laughs> like right. I got to draw the death of Jean-Luc Picard. I never thought if you would have told me that when I was a little kid, I, I would have been like, there's no way. I mean, first of all, just working on it, let alone drawing the scene where he actually dies. Um, well, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not for this crowd. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's that's why I think we're kind of lucky because we really do get to focus on the cool sequences. So, you know, crowd scenes, anything with like CGI, lots of VFX. Um, but then uh, on Star Trek Picard season one, I was doing reshoots. So it was, it was I think, me and the DP walking on the set uh, in Santa Clarita. They actually had built the bridge of La Serena. And I got to walk around and take pictures and we, we were deciding how we're going to, you know, shoot these reshoots because we only had a limited amount of time with Patrick Stewart and uh, we wanted to make the most of it. So, you know, it's really more about problem solving as opposed to when you're doing these spaceship sequences, it's more like a, a blueprint or a map for the VFX department to come in and uh, and duplicate that. Yeah, I think sometimes the genre comes into play. The, the nuts and bolts of storyboarding is kind of the same. But but um, often, you know, if you're doing a comedy sequence, uh, you know, you might be trying to figure out, well, does this play funnier in a close up on this actor's, you know, expression, or is it funnier to just stay on a wide and watch it all play out? And these are the kind of you know considerations that a director has, and yeah, he or she can talk with the DP about it, but it, it it's it's always best to be able to have a visual where they can both kind of explore what it is. So sometimes you might do, uh, you know, choice A, B, and C. And other times you, the director has a pretty good vision of what they want it to look like, or they, you know, they're, they're trying to convince a producer, well, no, we don't need to do all that. Look, we can just set up the camera here and let it all play out. And this actor is is funny enough that it'll play out. Um, so it, as Aaron says, it's kind of problem solving, and, and it's it's really just focusing on what's the best way to tell the story. And and as as you said, uh, you know, it's the fun stuff. What I think is fun about it is the director, usually sitting down with a storyboard artist it's the director's time to kind of just explore and have fun. So they're in a better mood um, <laughs> than they will be in 10 minutes when they go into the meeting about the budget and how they can't do all the stuff we just drew. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a really interesting spot to be in because you're, you're in there where all the, all the action takes place. A lot of people in the business uh, you know, start as PAs and they're trying to like work their way into the room and, and we just start in the room. So it's pretty cool. Sounds yeah. like it's a little bit of a sales document. Yes. Actually, one of the best descriptions I ever heard was Ridley Scott, um, who actually was a trained artist himself and did a lot of his own storyboards in the beginning. He said it's like robbing a bank. Uh, right. So it's pre-planning. It's like, you know, you have to, because there's so many things that can go wrong on the day. Um, an actor might be in a bad mood or you might have bad weather or, you know, if you're shooting outside, there's all these random elements. So directors like Ridley Scott or even going back to Alfred Hitchcock, he was infamous for spending that time. All the thinking, all the designing was in the storyboarding phase. And once he got that done, he knew that if he shot those storyboards, then he was going to be fine. And he could then improvise on set and he could do other things and it kind of freed him up to be more, more spontaneous uh, on set. 
Very cool. Uh, Daniel, a bit of a tangential question, but like you mentioned how a lot of your work is in like costume uh, design, costume concept art, you know, things like that. I, I wonder if you, you could talk a bit about that where it's it's a little more conceptual, but uh, at that stage, are you being guided by by the director, by the writer, whatever, or is that a time for you just to like explore and, and have fun with your imagination? Yeah, so when I got on Discovery, I was brought on by costume designer Gersha Phillips and Basically, the costume department is totally separate from the art department, and we're working with just a costume designer uh, in itself. And usually, what they do is they'll give you, um, if you're lucky, you'll get the you'll get the script. Um, if you're not, you have to ask for it. But they'll have references from Pinterest, from textiles that they they liked. Um, maybe they got a photo of and they'll say like this is the character these are the things that you need to work on and I'll start off with the base get a good form going and then I'll start playing uh, paper cutout if you will and then I'll start uh, slapping in um, images that I think is going to work out for the character um, there's I'm getting kind of lost right now because I did want to go back to what um, Aaron was talking about. I'm so sorry about that, but he said no something about um, like, you know, the, uh, spaceships. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I got into um, doing storyboards for Picard doing the spaceship, the whole thing about the spaceship. I didn't even touch people. Like I didn't get to draw the people up. So sorry, Peter. Like I was like, actually, like I wanted to talk about no, that. Man, please, I'm, please. Yeah, I'm no, like, it's... wait, I need to change my train of thought to costume. <laughs> but I think this is more interesting because who, whoever thought, you know, drawing a spaceship would have so much personality, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I, when I got into this job, I'm like, okay, so I'm just going to be drawing spaceships here and there. And it's just, that's going to be it. But the first round table that we had with the VFX department, it was all about Jason Zimmerman. Um, the I think he was the head of, of VFX. He was basically telling us we need to slow things down. We need to slow things down for Picard because we don't want to do what Discovery did. You know, like everything was like the J.J. Abrams style. And so I think uh, looking back at um, season one and two, we uh, we basically said, all right, we're going to have to slow it down. You know four times. So if we're on landing on a shot where the Enterprise is going against the Intrepid, we're going to get a very long shot, right? And you're going to feel the tension and this is what we wanted. And going back to TNG, I understand why they wanted to do that. And to bring that into the storyboards, I was like, wow, this is this is brand new because I never thought um, like any of these ships would have that much personality. So um, I don't know if you guys remember this when um, the Intrepid was getting basically pissed off at um, I got my notes. Uh, I think it was a Titan. Uh, I don't want to get it wrong, but that whole scene was based on Star Trek Into the Darkness with uh, the USS Vengeance. Mm. So it was literally like one to one. It was like get along long shot of the vengeance coming up and you have um the enterprise like oh my god this guy's gonna get me right so we wanted to bring all those things to um picard and it was really interesting to hear the showrunner and having showrunner like terry mathalas like just knowing exactly what he wanted 
Like, you know, we need to go back to the basics. Listen, let's listen to the fan base and let's really give them what they want. You know, actually listen to them and not really pay attention to what the studios want. And so it's very interesting to see, like, you know, when the Fenris Rangers comes in, it's like a squadron's like, you know, Top Gun coming in. And we actually thought out all these things. And um, I never had that experience as a storyboard artist thinking like, like a prop or a vehicle design would have um, a personality like that. So to what you were saying, Aaron, yeah. <laughs> all these shots, all these things that we do, like everything has meaning behind it. Um, there's nothing that is going to be put on the screen because these are like, you know, each shot is like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousands of dollars, right? So when we're, here's another example, like we were escaping from Daystrom, uh, we wanted to get this great close-up shot of um, the ship going in and out, kind of like the Star Wars um, escape scene. We didn't have money for that, but I did want to show the showrunner or the director that, and they got so excited. They're like, oh my God, this is so cool. We get to do this. And I can see um, we were doing a Zoom meeting with uh, one of the producers and the whole time he was just like scratching his nose. He's like, oh my God, we don't have money for this. But <laughs> stories like that, that's that's really fun because as a storyboard artist, you get to bring things that you know sometimes you shouldn't be bringing to the table <laughs> and you do have a voice and um I'm just I'm just so lucky that I got to experience that and I got to put in something and like those shots are actually one one to one if you see it so it, a lot of shots that we do we do a lot of refinement so we try to save a lot of money in the pre-production stage and then it will actually go into um a previous stage which is like literally um like a video game version of the movie or the film that you're going to see so yeah storyboard artists although we are hidden uh, we are the ones that are saving millions of dollars so you better you better bet you know our rate is not as high as you think it is you know you should be paying <laughs> us more because we're saving you guys a lot of money true Sorry, I just wanted to say that before I go into um, costumes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead, Lisa. I was going to say that um, a couple of you guys have talked about working with directors who really know what they're doing. And it makes me wonder if you're working with a director who's kind of floundering around and not sure what they're doing, do you kind of get to take control at that point or is it just really frustrating? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I've actually had a director who I will not name, but it wasn't Star Trek, so don't worry about that. But uh they actually told me I don't know what I want, but I'll know it when I see it. So oh. in, in, a, in a sense, it's a double-edged sword because um, sometimes it frees you up more to play, especially if you're in pre-production. Sometimes we get hired before the actors are even cast. And so it's just us and the director kicking ideas back and forth. So sometimes I like that because you get to play. But, you know, if you have directors like my director in She-Hulk, Kat Coro, she was very specific. She knew exactly what she wanted, but then also she was open to me contributing other ideas. She's like, this is what I need. This is the way I see the scene. But if you have any ideas whatsoever, feel free to contribute. Um, on Star Trek Picard, because they I, they brought me in towards the end of season one, you know, I've worked with uh, Akiva before on Titans and Akiva has a really distinct style and he knows what he wants. And it was, I was lucky because we were primarily doing um, reshoots. I guess the network had notes about the ending. They had watched a rough cut and they wanted, they had a whole bunch of notes that they had to address. And it was right before the holidays. So, you know, time was of the essence. 
we were in crunch mode. I was working in one office. Akiva was in the other office. Michael's in another office with all the writers. And we're running back and forth. I would draw as fast as I could, send them to the server, go over to the edit bay, and we watch these cuts. And then Michael would be watching what I just drawn, and he would add it back into the script. And it was like this whole crazy circle. So that was really fun to just kind of collaborate. Cause I think that's kind of the best part of our job. You know, sometimes you're left alone to come up with stuff, just blue sky ideas, especially in animation and video games. That stuff always ends up directly in the screen. Um, I got lucky on the Star Trek episodes that I did because it was the, you know, reshoots. And so those, they were basically everything I storyboarded ended up getting used. Uh, but the reason I did board is because they had to budget out the VFX. How many shots is this going to be? They had to time everything out. I think there was a sequence that I worked on where originally uh, I think it was going to be Captain Janeway that came um, to Picard's rescue, but then we changed it. We swapped it out for uh, Commander Riker, which I think made more sense um, in terms of the story and the relationship. So, so yeah, that was a that was a really fun that was a really fun thing to do. You know, even though it was like high pressure. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we we definitely like I said, every show is different. I've had directors that are completely blue sky not really sure, don't give you a shot list. So in that case, I think Dan and Daniel and I, we get to kind of, you know, at least take a first stab at it. And sometimes they use it, sometimes they don't. But for me on Star Trek, I was lucky because it was like the last minute and Akiva's like, we got to get this done. (laughs) Here's what we're going to do. And so. Yeah, I'd say that we never got to take control, but Mm -hmm. if the director is floundering, there's an opportunity to have some influence. And Earlier in my career, uh, that was a lot less interesting. It was it was a lot less fun for me because I didn't have the experience to really step up and fill in until I worked with a lot of directors who knew what they were doing. Um, because otherwise, you know, you you go off, you draw some pictures, and it was never very satisfying to to think, well, is you know, wonder if anybody's really going to pay attention to them if the director didn't really endorse it or you know be part of the process um so at this point uh i would say the collaborating is is almost the thing that i look forward to more than the drawings sometimes um you know getting in a room and you know director doesn't have to have a complete vision it's 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 you know it's great to be in a room with a director at a dp and you're all just kind of like sharing and and building um on on what you can do and then you usually have a process with the storyboarding where you do a rough draft of it and then you refine it and refine it again two or three times. Um, and, and at that point, you, you know, you've got a decent thing. So, I mean, I had an experience with a director who didn't know what he wanted and didn't actually have the you know, courage to tell me that he didn't know what he wanted. And so he was like waiting until he figured it out. And, and so in that case, it was a terrible experience because I, I could only come up with so much, you know, yeah. um, but, you know, you, you do what you can. You, you try to get the ball rolling, at least if, if the director doesn't have a specific vision. Um, and then you go back to the script and hopefully the script is giving you some guidance there. Um, and, you know, you, you, something that you can base it on and, and get it moving. And then there are times when you're kind of rewriting the script and the storyboard process uh, because the director didn't like what was in the script and we we're trying to figure out that happened on Westworld a, a couple of times where mm-hmm. we just kind of take the storyboard back to the writer, the producer, the showrunner, and you kind of work it back and forth. Um, so there are those times when it is more like writing, which is, it's, it's cool. 
I made the mistake of not asking a lot of questions when I first started out. Uh, I, I, I was on a, a feature with this big time Hollywood director. It was like talking a thousand miles per minute, like looking at his clock the whole time we were in the Zoom meeting. And he gave me thumbnails, so he definitely knew what he wanted, but I couldn't decipher out what the thumbnails were. And uh, <laughs> he would have these like scribbled notes, like, you know, doctor notes. And I didn't want to be that guy that says, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I, I don't know what this is. So I just kept nodding my head, you know, looking at the screen Ooh. and said, oh, all right, um, I, you have me for one more hour. You want me to go over anything? And then I was just so like, scared to ask a question and uh, i was just like you know what i need to sit down look at these notes like try to decipher it and then i'll get back to you and so that was my my way of saying like you know i have no idea but i don't want to show that i have no idea what's going on so i did my pass and the notes were like yeah this is not exactly what i wanted and so and then mm -hmm. i didn't ask questions at all again because I didn't want to be that guy, you know. Long story short, I got fired from the job. It was like a big job. I, I could have oh, been there for maybe several months. But because I didn't ask these questions, because I made a lot of um, mistakes of pretending like I knew what I was doing. Um, yeah, sometimes you'll get directors who know exactly what they want, but then they're not clear with their communication or their notes are not... So yeah, you, you really have to be assertive and aggressive and trying to get those meetings. And you know, they're busy, so you try to get with their assistants and say, you know what, I need to lock down a day. Like I, I cannot finish the sequence without knowing exactly what you want. And although he did tell me, like he was talking so fast and I didn't bother like recording. I should have recorded it. But I couldn't the the other problem was I couldn't read his writing or his notes. No. So um, this is not for you guys, but if anybody's out there trying to break into the storyboarding industry, that's the number one thing. If you don't know, say it out, you know, ask them questions. When you have a block of time with the director, the most important, the stupidest thing to do is what I did. Just nod your head and pretend like, you know, like, yeah, I know what I'm doing, right? If you don't know, ask the questions because that's going to save you lots of time. And it probably costed me, um, many couple thousands of dollars. If, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, asking questions is is critical. And I would try to pin down directors, you know, shot by shot by shot, you know, after this close-up, what do you want? What do you, you know, what 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 are we how are we bridging this gap? Because a lot of times directors will kind of jump from setup to setup and not necessarily be in continuity. And I like to try to get it the way it's going to look on screen in the edit. Um, but that, that was the best way to kind of learn all that is to, you know, ask questions. And in TV, you get a lot of directors who are very work a day. They have to, they don't have a whole lot of time. They're not going to have a lot of time to shoot it. And they can kind of succinctly describe to you the setups that they're going to need. And that was pretty much how I, how I learned how to navigate that part, just asking those questions and uh and if they don't know well the, at least the, they probably hadn't thought about it yet and so a lot of times you're the one making them think about it that's actually a great piece of advice because i made the same mistake as daniel when i was starting off and you'll get these directors that they're trying to give you an hour's worth of information in 15 minutes and they're talking fast and 
you can't take notes fast enough. You can't keep up. So I actually um, ask permission nowadays to record a Zoom call or a meeting with the directors. And most of them are fine with it because I'm just going to use it for reference. But I want to make sure I don't miss anything. And then also on shows like Picard or Fear the Walking Dead, um, I actually make sure that I go on the director's scouts with the, the DP and the director. So I actually know if I'm doing something, it's going to be filmed on location or on a set. Like on Picard, I was lucky. The cinematographer and I, we actually got to go on the set on the um, La Serena. And I actually got to film with my my cell phone the shots that I was going to be storyboarding. So it mm-hmm. just like Daniel and Dan are saying, you know, the more you can collaborate with different departments and be of service, you know, with the VFX guys and sometimes the stunt guys, um, you know, there's so many uh, uh, makeup, VFX makeup and stuff, you know, all the costume designers. There's so many there's so many different departments, so many different moving parts um, on these films or on these TV shows. Uh, you know, the more you can be part of that, the more reference you have, the easier your job is going to be and the easier you can make everybody else's job if you're all on the same page. Because it's really difficult to read somebody's mind if they tell you, I don't know what I want, but I'll know when I see it. <laughs> yeah, going on scouts can be great. Um, you take your own photo reference. I did a, a fair amount of that on season two of Picard, going on set and going on on some of the location scouts. And, um, and then, you know, because the storyboards inform so many different departments, it's great to get whatever info those departments have. So, you know, you get some stuff from costume. And so I definitely got some of, uh, I'm pretty sure I got some of Daniel's illustrations um, to work off of when I would draw those characters um, into my storyboards. And uh, and then I think he may have gotten some of my uh, sketches in doing the VFX stuff with the the couple of the scenes that I got to do some ships in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's um, great to kind of get all that information from the art department. Uh, Dave Blast, production designer, uh, had a great crew, concept artists and set designers, and be able to get all that kind of info page after page after page of, of renderings of the, the corridors and the bridge and, you know, the various sets um and the concept art it's and then you know i try to put it all together into one little story and and so and then it feeds back to everybody else have any of you guys ever thought about uh writing about telling stories with words instead of pictures oh i use chat gpt to write all my stuff (laughs) i'm a terrible writer but um one last piece of advice like i want to give um is actually read the script, you know, like as a costume <laughs> uh, person, like you never really read the script. So if I, I realized, yeah, I realized, you know, like reading the script, like I, would actually help me become a better designer. Um, but you don't really have time for that leisure. Um, sorry, I, I just jumped in. But um, yeah, going back to all this, like, this was the first time I actually read the script from beginning to the end. I mean, it sounds crazy as a storyboard artist, but like, you know, when you're giving a scene, you're given like, you know, scene 15 to 30. So you're kind of reading like in between a little bit after and before that. But to read the whole script, I mean, this is the first time when I'm working on the new film that I'm working on, I had a whole lot of time because they would not give me any notes. Um, So like, I was, what was I gonna do? I'm just gonna read the whole script. And after reading the script, I realized, wow, storyboard artists, actually, we really need to know the story. <laughs> There's yeah. no way around it. 
Um, it, it's just an epiphany. And to your question, do I want to write? No, I don't think I would want to write because it's just so much work. Like, you know, do you want, <laughs> it's do you want to learn how to don't do, do it, yeah. Photoshop? I mean, learning how to do Photoshop and learning how to do what we do, we probably spend more time than like any uh, person doing like PhD or like a doctorate or um, a doctor would spend because once they're done, they're done, right? But then we have to constantly like learn the new programs. We have to constantly learn new things when they come out. So I don't have time for, uh, I don't want to write, but um, that just kind of like triggers something. <laughs> like <laughs> as a storyboard artist, you should read your script. Yeah. <laughs> you should know your well, story. Well, you know, I actually uh, wrote a little script that I'm, doing a graphic novel based on, or at least, you know, it's a personal project at, at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I like to toy around with the idea of writing, I, but I don't think I'd want to uh, do that as a full-on profession. I might that's, probably stick to my strengths. But uh, but yeah, and and actually all three of us uh, wrote an article that's going to be out in... Uh, the Art Directors Guild magazine uh, next month, so we, we we are writing a little. Yeah, I come from comics. So I've uh, I've cre I have some creator on properties that I've written mostly uh, more for like animation. Um, our friend Jordan Gorfinkel and I, um, he was more doing the writing for um, I think it was called Tag Team, the superhero. Um, you know, I don't we haven't really published it yet, but we were working on it for years and years. That's a lot of fun. I did character designs and just you know going back and forth with Jordan. With different ideas and then i um i created a series called masterminds which is all about uh the bad guys kind of uh, like you know uh the bad guys that just keep trying over and over again so i wrote a few issues of that with my friends uh, lance karutz and james denning uh that was super fun we published it i think in comic works like an anthology book so you know i dabble um i definitely appreciate the art form um and i like doing you know things that i'm you know movies and tv shows are more about collaboration versus you know, getting your own ideas down and creating your own characters uh, is really a lot of fun. You know, something I kind of got to do with Stan Lee when we were at Stanley Media. That was fun, too. This is, this is kind of a, a, a more general question, but um, let's see if we can make it a bit more specific. But like it's it's looking at you guys as IMDb's it, it, and we live in a time right now where a lot of projects will start designed for one medium and then kind of transition into another one uh i believe secret invasion was originally meant to be a movie um straight uh, section 31 was originally a series and now it's a made for tv movie i wonder like if if you have any thoughts about how the changes of medium kind of uh, alter your your job and you know change what the parameters are for for your work sure i mean um I always go back to like X-Men with uh, that Wolverine's costume looks really cool in the comics, but Hugh Jackman, that yellow costume is not going to look the same on screen. You know, there's things you can do in comics that don't work in live action and vice versa. So you really do have to think about who's your audience, uh, what's the medium, what are the strengths of the medium? Because uh, it used to be, you know, movies were like this huge, um, they were like the big thing. And then TV was kind of seen as like a step down. But now I think we're in this golden age of TV with all these streaming platforms you know you get shows like the wire and the sopranos and star trek that actors really gravitate towards those because it's more like long form storytelling as opposed to you know uh hour and a half movie or a two-hour movie you know how much uh character development can you really do in a future film um 
I mean, you can still do it, but it has to be much more concise as opposed to this, you know, you get five episodes, 16 episodes per season or something. You can really do these intense um, character studies. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's probably the strength of TV. And, and, and going back and forth, like you said, you know, Secret Invasion, I think originally was conceived as a feature film. You're seeing that too with some of these Star Trek, or I'm sorry, the Star Wars stuff on Disney Plus, where I'm pretty sure Obi-Wan was originally supposed oh, to be. Yeah. <laughs> stretched it out and added a bunch of color <laughs> to make it into six episodes or whatever it ended up being so yeah definitely there's a you know they definitely are uh trying to uh, retool things depending on what the final uh medium is going to be yeah i'm not sure uh i have a whole lot of uh you know experience on things that were aimed at different media but you know certainly there were projects that were based on books or something like True Blood was based on this Sookie Stackhouse novels. And and they definitely made some changes early on the first season with characters. You know, certain characters died in the first book, and but they because the performance of the actor was so amazing and everybody gravitated toward that, they would keep the the role alive and then, you know, kept it going. So it's a, it's a bit of a fluid thing sometimes. I think uh, one of the things that we need to touch upon is like the video games. Remember when video game movies like Super Mario Brothers were a joke, <laughs> Mortal Kombat, um, even Street Fighter. But now we have, you know, films that are like The Last of Us. I mean, just looking at that, it's it's just an amazing accomplishment of like what you can do uh, through the storytelling medium. Um and that's actually really good. I was just watching uh, Super Mario Brothers, the the recent one, the animated one, and it's just like it's just mind blowing, like how they can take a video game, a two you know eight bit video game, and then make a whole world, make it into a billion dollar industry. And uh, something else to no note is like I think uh, the video game industry is actually above the the film industry now, right? I mean, it's like five. I don't know. I'm throwing out numbers here, but like it, it's way up there. So like, you know, we can't knock that out. So yeah, I mean, it's a great time for like anything. Like if you're a storyboard artist, especially you're you're we're gonna need more storyboard artists than anything. We're gonna need more like writers than anything. And hopefully through throughout the strike, they're gonna realize how important we are as in creative individuals and not use generic, you know, I don't want to get into this, but we need more people getting into this field and really um really hone our craft and i think that's what i want to say um because there's a lot of money to be made but at the same time it's there's a lot more um it's good it, it's paying off in a sense that like the, the next generation is going to reap what we're sowing right now so if if anybody's listening to this and if they have no idea what they want to do, but they can draw a little bit, maybe get, in, get into storyboarding. Because uh, to me, getting into storyboarding was easy to get into because I knew uh, bigger drawing. So if you can draw, maybe try it out. You know, if you like painting, maybe try doing like environment design because there's a lot of money to be made. And, you know, um, even with animation, like working on looking at, I'm watching, um, avatar right now and seeing where they're coming from the last airbender like the the animation and now they're doing another remake 
So yeah, it's a good time to be alive, actually. I'm very excited for what's going to be uh, coming up. Yeah, I think like one of the biggest, um, I don't know what the word would be, fallacies, I guess, on the part of the audience when it comes to any sort of TV movie or whatever is like the, the audience sees what's on the screen and they just presume that it's so easy to get it there or it's like the obvious choice. And I'm sure the studio executives are probably trying to devise a way to have an AI person, you know, do the do the storyboarding. And yet it's like, no, like storyboards specifically are are so important and so again so creative. And I will also say it's screenwriting as well. And it's it's like these these fields are are often forgotten about. And you know, money goes to the actors, but it's like without the storyboards, without the 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 scripts, but you know, camera shots are just so so important you know like i, I mean i specifically you mentioned earlier the the showdown between the titan and the uh, intrepid and picard and it's like that shot in there is just so memorable of like when the when the uh when the titan realizes that the intrepid's been completely taken over by change lanes and you just see the the intrepid sort of like rear its head back up onto into this like very you know predatory pose and it's like you, you just can't you can't you know it's like you got to have somebody you know creating that and making it seem as as villainous as possible and it's like that's you know a computer's not gonna be able to do that yeah that homage was not for me it's from terry so thank him for that one <laughs> but you you brought it you brought the idea to life an idea is you know an idea but you have to uh you have to you have to make it work on the page and that's uh you know i always tell my brother this because he's always throwing me like script script ideas and i'm like Dude, the the idea is easy. Like you, gotta, it's the details that make it right. make it so hard. Yeah. Um, Lisa, do you have any uh, more questions on your end? Uh, I guess. Uh, would you recommend that somebody uh, go study film and television, or did you kind of learn about the craft as you went? Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I would. I would recommend yes. Not only that, but just don't do what I did. <laughs> well, no, we all can. We all came in through different ways and everybody's going to have a different journey, a different uh, story. So there's not, unfortunately, there's no one like right way. This is you do A, B and C and now you're working in TV. Um, but yes, I would definitely recommend. I mean, I love watching. I've been on a Kurosawa kick, uh, Coen Brothers, so many great old movies. I just uh, just saw uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, Kubrick, you know, for sure. Um, I'm constantly watching and rewatching. Sometimes I'll watch a movie as I'm drawing, it'll be on my screen, but it'll have the sound off. And, and you know, just watching something with the sound off really gives you appreciation for like composition and pacing and editing. So definitely as many films, as many shows as you can, but you know, also read and and I think your experience, that's what separates us from AI. That's why, like you were saying earlier, these stories are important. It does start with the script, but it also as human beings, we bring experience to this, the stories that we're telling. And that's what resonates. Those are the best, um, the best stories are the ones that are told from a you know human perspective. I don't think AI can imitate that, but I don't think it's ever going to duplicate that. So, um, you know, that's why I love about this is like, cause if you give a, a script uh, to, to three different storyboard artists, the three of us here, you're going to get three slightly different interpretations. It doesn't mean that mine's better than Dan or Daniel's. They're just different points of view. And we all have our own individual points of view that we bring to the table and then we throw those out and then they're going to, you know, that's the best part of the job is getting to collaborate with other people and uh, being part of something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. I think um, you definitely need to know a lot about filmmaking mm -hmm. uh, because that's, 
it's not it's different from a comic strip in that it uh it takes into account what the camera is doing and uh and the intent of the camera work uh, as well as the actor and so the point of view of the camera becomes very important whether there's motion in the camera or not um and you can kind of get that a little bit from just being a film nut and watching a lot of films but it also helps if you're watching it with a particular eye, you know, why did Spielberg choose this particular you know, angle or movement? How is he building that story shot by shot by shot? And it and it it's important to have a kind of a quick understanding when working with a director, you know. So if I could bring it back to Picard, um, in season two, all of the the sequences with the Borg Queen, the kind of like half decapitated you know severed Borg queen in the containment unit and uh you know she breaks free and the whole kind of mid-season arc with that um i was working with uh, jonathan frakes which was another like dream job thing there um and uh he was talking about how he and, and terry metallis and and others in the creative team were kind of trying to develop this uh the, the horror feel and kind of go into the horror genre with all that. And so if you study that enough, you have an idea of how horror might use camera work and lighting um, a little bit differently, then it's a little bit quicker to ramp it up. And so, you know, the angles were a little bit more, you know, extreme and uh, part where uh, the board queen's got the clerk, you know, tied up up against the warp core or whatever in La Serena. Um, you know, we, we tried to like really build that and so that there's definitely an intention and an awareness of, you know, film uses, film genres and things like that. So you do have to study the craft of filmmaking if you want to be a storyboarder. It's not good enough just to be able to draw well. I come from a different uh, mindset. I think maybe it was the Nike, like growing up, like just do it, right? you just got to do it. You know, um, I could take as much classes as I, as I can looking through all the, the YouTube channels, like reading all these books, but unless you step into the ring of fire and get burned alive, um, you're, you're never going to make it. Um, I have a lot of students coming up to me saying, Hey, how do I, how do I do storyboards? How do I become a storyboard artist? I'm like, you just kind of do it. Right. Uh, what's the first step? First step for me is like, to get into the union, they say you need 30 days. Like how do you, that, that's all based on luck. So don't base anything on luck. Like how do you get in? All right, so there's a way to get in through commercials. All right, so let's just start from there. And I think that's just the way how it goes. So you just you just work on commercial boards, and then eventually you're gonna get good enough, get enough to get on a production. And yeah, obviously you're not gonna be ready for it because the commercial world to pre-production world is totally different. Nobody's going to hold your hand. You have to interpret it, interpret the script. They're not going to give you a shot list like the commercial world does. And I'm noticing like as you go up, you know, from commercials, which is like a tight deadline, you know, the director really needs to do their homework and they have two, three days with you as a commercial artist. They're going to give you everything that you need. On a TV show, yeah, it's not going to be a film show. So you're going to get director is like all right we got to get by this this is what we need and you'll 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 have a deadline and then on film it's like do it you figure it out 
right? <laughs> and that's kind of how it works. And I notice like the more and more I question myself, like, is this good enough? Do I have enough samples? I'm just never going to do it. So even like, I've never been so nervous in my entire life as coming, like coming here, talking to you guys, to the yeah. top experts, because I know you're going to, you're going to see right through me. Right. And Aaron is like, it's okay, dude, just go in. So that's, that's my mantra. Say I'm like, yes. all right, I'm just going to say yes to like every single thing, even though I'm not ready for it. I'm not like, even though I'm going to get fired from it or I'm going to get flamed <laughs> on you know, Reddit. <laughs> Who is this guy coming out the truck? Anyways, um, I think that's the way that that's just me personally. And that's how I got to where I am, you know, fast track. This is all in the last like five years where I'm working on these big production. I'm like, yeah, I did work on big productions. You know, I, I deserve to be here, but I always, I still feel like I'm still a student. <laughs> Aaron's laughing yeah. at me because he knows it's true. Like, I always think, like, I don't know why, why you keep bringing me on. <laughs> we all feel that way. It's uh, imposter syndrome. I think we always have to challenge ourselves as artists and writers and creative people is to push yourself outside of that comfort zone. Because if you don't, you never get better. You never grow. You never improve. And so whenever I'm asked to, I hate public speaking. I hate doing all this stuff. But uh <laughs> <laughs> very stressful but once you do it you feel better i mean that's why i'm teaching at schoolism i used to teach at art center as well so and then i got called to do a chinese movie where they're going to travel me to china you know before covid and that was fun so i always do like daniel if it makes me nervous or if it's out of my comfort zone the answer is always yes because it's something i have to do otherwise i'll just sit here and never get better oh yeah and, and the, that's what people who hire other people respond to is that you know that willingness to be part of the team and show up and and be part of the problem solving because everybody's just trying to figure it out and then if you can actually deliver and you show that you're reliable then you're going to get the next one so yeah you you know it's, it might sound a little cliche to just say yes and and be positive but it's definitely gets you uh, a, a good chunk of the way there I haven't gotten fired from Section 31, so I must be doing something good. Right? Awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Until they hear this podcast, and then you're out of there. <laughs> Wait, yeah, by I'm... the way, am I going to get in trouble? Was I supposed to say anything about that? Uh, I, okay. I don't think... Did you say anything? I, don't, I didn't hear anything. No, I mean, it's been announced that it's happening. I think everyone just presumes the pre-production is still going on, which is storyboarding. So, uh, yeah, it's all fine. Um, Yeah, I have a question for Lisa. Um, Did you ever see any storyboards when you were working on DS9 or Voyager? Did they ever I never did, actually. Um, I think by the time they were doing storyboards, it was kind of out of my hands. You know, I think Mm -hmm. they were working with the director, maybe, and, and maybe the executive producer. But, uh, no, as a writer, I never worked with a storyboard artist. Yeah, I'm not sure that they would have bothered to do them for much of those sequences back then. Um, it was still kind of uh, in the movie world, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, I've never, I, I know I've seen like concept art and such for the pilots, but I've never seen storyboards for specific yeah. episodes, so I don't. I mean, a lot of the visual effects stuff was so new back then to, you know, the computer-generated yeah. imagery and things like that. So it was, uh, maybe they were, they were just still figuring out what the, what the best way to do it was. But... Right. And and plus to stay true to Star Trek, you just 
cut away to the you know model or whatever, and yep. then you cut back into yep. close up, and Always. you get the the dun, 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 <laughs> you get that, and that, that, that carries you along part of the way. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, perhaps on that positive note, we should uh, wrap things up right there. Um, do you guys want to uh, go along? So if you have a website or a social media you want to promote, and maybe if you have any new projects coming out that you want to you want to promote as well, um, uh, Dan, let's uh, start with you. Uh, you can find uh, some of my storyboard work at filmsketches.com. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Dan Kaplan underscore art. That's Kaplan with a C. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, next year. I worked on um, Amazon Prime's adaptation of the video game Fallout Ooh. with um, Very nice. uh, Jonathan Nolan and, uh, and, and others. Um, so that should be pretty cool. Keep your eyes open for that. My website is daniel lim.com. If you want to find me on my personal website, it's um, Instagram handle is d lim sketch d l i m m as a mary sketch and um right now i'm just taking a lot more figure drawing classes uh, i want to plug this one if you're really into like learning how to draw take a class at concept design academy and look for kevin chen that will change your life i'm, I'm so mad at myself for not taking his class earlier in my career because it would have made so much sense <laughs> <laughs> Can't go wrong with figure drawing. My uh, my website is just my name. It's just aaronsode.com. I'm also Aaron Sode. On Instagram, it's A-A-A-A-R-O-N, A-A-R-O-N-S-O-W-D. The last name kind of messes up people. But yeah, just aaronsode.com. And um, since the strike, I've just been teaching. I've uh, been teaching a lot at um, Schoolism. So schoolism.com is Bobby Chu's company. He's the founder of uh, Lightbox Expo, which we were just at. We were all there doing a panel on storyboarding, a lot of fun, San Diego Comic-Con, and um, actually teaching some online classes at Pixar as well. So that was pretty cool. That's very cool. That's awesome. Uh, well, guys, thank you all so much for being here. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, listeners, you can find us at uh, TrexpertsBR on Twitter for the moment and mm -hmm. uh, Trexpert's Briefing Room on Instagram. Uh, if you like our show, please rate us five stars. Um, we definitely, I, I think we had a great time doing this little uh, one-off from uh, our usual format. Maybe we'll try to do some more of these types of shows going forward. This yeah, is, It was fun for us. Yeah. Um, so uh, listen out there, thank you again for being here and uh, for Lisa Klink and myself. Uh, until next time, the Briefing Room is now closed. Scott, what do you repeat what you just told us? About an hour ago, the bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened. As if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement. <laughs>